the most significant part of that goal that like the, the move in the build-up was the touch from Muller there are like three players surrounding Muller as the ball gets fizzed into him and he can't really take it forward so he opens his body up backwards and just the touch to Kimmich is perfectly weighted is perfectly directed and Kimmich then just has all the time he needs to control the ball look up and pick out Komen and the, and the goal doesn't happen without that touch I think it would lift the spirits of the nation I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take it as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave. Hello comrades and you're very welcome to the football spin. It's a football spin on a Monday morning. The Monday after the Champions League final and Bayern Munich are crowned the champions of Europe, having beaten Paris Saint-Germain one goal to nil. We, at some stage, predicted goals galore on the football team. I think it was actually on Saturday. And then we also said, well, maybe it could be nil-nil, but it was somewhere in the middle. One-nil, the uh, the archetypal football result. Um, I'm joined by the, wow, what a team we've got this morning. Dion Fanning is here. Ruben Pinder is here. Naz Chowdhury is here. We've rolled out the big guns. Um, so first of all, lads, I was struck by how many people on Twitter, now I, I do think there was a strong Liverpool cohort here saying it was the worst Champions League final in many years. Dion, what did you think? Was it a good final? The worst Champions League final since last year's final, maybe they meant, except it was probably it was better than last year. I thought, I thought the first half was excellent. I thought it was... Uh, like that seemed to be. I was watching it on BT, and they said uh, they said the same thing. You know that, that kind of narrative that because there haven't been any goals, um, that somehow you know the best is still ahead of us. But in a game like this, and you see it especially afterwards, the fact that you know chances are missed is as important and is as critical to shaping a game and is creates as powerful. A narrative as you know, you know, any amount of goals in some ways. So you look at the chances PSG missed um, in the first half, uh, the way Bayern came into the game a bit more, um, and how that sort of set the tone for what happened. You know, at the second half, no, it petered the game, petered out of it. But I thought the first half was 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 pretty pretty gripping, um, and the fact that PSG missed those chances uh, had a huge bearing, obviously, on the result of the game, but also in how you on on what you think about the game. Mm. Um Ruben, you're feeling pretty smug this morning, I imagine. Um yes and no. Um I I thought Neymar might do me do me proud and have more of an influence on the game. But um yeah. yes, to be to for context there for those who haven't listened, Ruben predicted a win for Bayern Munich. Nas Nostradamus came up short predicting Paris Saint Germain, <laughs> as I did myself, Dion wasn't here but he probably would have won for Byron too. Um, but yeah. Um, you won big, did you? Is that right? I heard there was a I, huge win. I won a sweepstake with, with Bayern, um, which was drawn with only eight teams left and we got two teams each. And yeah, I got Bayern Munich. And at the time I thought that's put me that's put me in a pretty good position because they are the best team in the world, really. Um, but yeah, as Dion was saying, it's uh, it was it was pretty close. Like just because it was low scoring, it doesn't make it a bad game. It was much better than last year's final. 
um it could have gone either way like it could have been realistically it could have been like three all at 90 minutes um you know Lewandowski hit the post uh super moting that chance at the end anyone else probably scores that um but yeah it's just it's just those fine margins where just the ball wouldn't go in and Manuel Neuer by the way was absolutely unreal um so yeah it was I thought it was a brilliant game um thoroughly enjoyed it and yeah, Bayern Munich, uh, over the course of the competition, probably, um, and over the past couple of months since the restart, they've played the best football. They've been the most dominant, so you can't really say they didn't, they didn't deserve it. But the game was very even, I thought. Nas, what did you think? No, I think uh, I, I agree with uh, what Dion was saying, is is that, like, the the whole game... Um, I mean, you, you get some games that are very cagey, nothing much happening, cancel each other out, and... Uh, there's nothing really to talk about. I don't think this was one of those games at all. I think it was, and again, like there's, there's all, there, there can be a slightly wanky, pretentious attitude of like, oh, are you just interested in the goals? But like, obviously, like like everyone wants to see goals, but like you you can get games that have got so much happening that that, that in, in which people don't score and and uh, and again, like there, there was there was so much uh, intrigue and sort of uh, narrative developing and like the whole. The whole thing about sort of like th- th- this was meant to be Neymar's um, big, big, big moment, big final, and um, we talked about like what a guy in the set ahead of the semi final that that sort of like strolled into the stadium with like his uh, his Bose speaker, um, and 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 what sort of uh, what arrogance, what what justified arrogance he he had to do that, um, but then again he did he did, he did the same for the final. Uh, strutted in with his with his high top trainers um, and 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 again like like it was just, it didn't happen and it and it was meant to be his final so him being absent is in is in itself a story and, and like Dion said like um you like like it's it's very it's very easy to forget that um uh, is still such a such a kid like he's such a young lad but like uh, again like all all the sort of hype and all the sort of um rave reviews he gets like like you need to finish that chance he was given um so so, so no I thought, I thought it was a great game and, and again like like in 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 the context of in the, in the context of um bay munich like like they the reason why it was a great game well well a good game in the first half is because it, it was quite a balanced game and obviously from bay munich's point of view they don't want it to be a balanced game so it was interesting in the context of the first half the second half Bay Munich took more control, and in a way, I suppose that's what that's what Dion is saying, where he said like it was it wasn't as good a game in the second half simply because it wasn't as even, and uh, Bayern got a grip of it. Um, something about the one 0 score scoreline that invites uh, lots of football cliches, and uh, Thomas Tuchel had a few for himself. This was him speaking to reporters after the game. Big fight for me, a big, big fight between uh, two strong, strong sides, very equal sides. More possession for Bayern, bit more, um, bit more of confidence with the ball, bit, bit more of uh, of that for them. Agreed. Very dangerous for us. Very dangerous moments for us. Uh, two very, very good opportunities to score. It was decisive, and I had the feeling before we talked about it. I had the feeling before. Maybe the first goal decides this match. Is uh, uh, it's a pity that we couldn't do it because it would have been a big, big, um, a big, big um, um, uh, for them. A big, a big, no, a big, 
a big um, a big setback, a big obstacle, yeah, a, big, a, big, a big challenge, a big challenge for them to come again to turn it around. Uh, Thomas Tuchel there speaking after the game. Nice little bit of uh, charades there between himself and the reporter as well, trying to figure out exactly what he was trying to say, what word he was grasping for. Um, it's interesting that he talks about the that whole, we've had a bit of this actually. Well, you know, if they went up the field and scored, if it could have gone the other way, it could have been 1-0 for Paris Saint-Germain, but it wasn't. And a lot of it, Dion, was due to the fact that when they got the chances, Paris, just, Paris Saint-Germain just didn't score the goals. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's interesting uh, in the context of who PSG are to hear Tuchel speaking like that, because it's like, well, if I am the coach of these, uh, like, you know, these, these forwards who, who Cost more than the entire Bayern Munich team, um, but if you want me to be coach of players who you're going to just put together like that, at the end of the day, if they don't score the goals, there's nothing I can do. So it's kind of like there's a, a strange kind of admission in it too about uh, Tuchel's the limitations of his own coaching uh, powers because he can't do anything, as he says, if they don't score the goals. But for a coach like Tuchel who would like to kind of uh, convey the impression that he he can shape so much and that he is you know he is engaged with every possible uh, outcome and thinking things through in uh, you know 4D chess all the time wondering what happens if this goes in what happens if this you know if this play develops in a certain way what happens if the game is is in this position at a certain point. And in this post-match interview, he's saying two things. Well, if my really expensive players don't score, uh, what can you do? And two, using one of the, like the, like the uh, bog-standard uh, football cliché, uh, uh, I thought the first goal would be decisive. Um, like, that's not... <laughs> you kind of want a bit more uh, from your coach and say, well, you know, once they scored... Uh, like what you know, what more? What you know? That was it. That was it. I knew then. Uh, in all his war gaming, in all his planning, surely he must have thought, well, if they do score first, uh, what are we going to do? But it was it, in the context of the game. It was a subtle way of shifting uh, attention towards those those missed chances and those missed opportunities. Mbappe's in particular, which was the golden chance. Uh, but um, I think it's it, it also just it's, it's just reflected the broader point about PSG and a coach trying to get the best out of these players who are going to uh, you know how you know who aren't going to be who aren't always going to be I think very in Neymar's case in particular they aren't always going to be um, willing uh, adherence to whatever a coach tells them to do. There was a lot of focus on um, on before the match on who Niall Quinn was calling on Irish television last night, Serge Gnabry Nabry, which is a good way of doing it because just in case you cover all your bases, <laughs> you, you use both. Uh, you use both more than more than once. You use Gnabry Nabry, so it's just like you just <laughs> let's let's just cover our bases here. Um, I've done the right thing though. I've gone back and checked. It is. Gnabry. So there, there you go. Just in case anybody was wondering, maybe you should do that with uh, Jaden Sancho. Oh, oh, you strike me deep, oh. uh, Ruben. Ruben, you got that. Uh, you got to crack that bit too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, okay. No, my question here is to the panel. 
<laughs> moving things along here professionally, pure profession. Uh, so it's like PSG were focused on him and the old one-two, if it wasn't going to be the left that gets you, it's the right. Because uh, instead of it being Gnabry that was the, the man, the match winner, it's Kingsley Coleman. Yeah, uh, Serge Gnabry, Gnabry Nabry had uh, a bit of a quiet night um, going by his recent standards. Um, he was obviously the match winner in the previous game. And yeah, they, they kind of, they did pretty well to keep him quiet. Um, and yeah, Kingsley Coman starting on the left was actually quite a surprising decision because obviously Perisic um, had been playing quite well in the, in the other knockout games and is a bit more, has a, more of a reputation of being a top, uh, a big game player. Um, I now have haunting images of his goal against England in 2018. Um so I, I was quite surprised to see them start um, Kingsley Coman, but he did he caused them problems all night, especially when he went when he got the ball down and dribbled one on one against um, Timo Kerr, who was who's not really a right back um, by trade, is filling in for Thomas Munier, who's who's left the club. Um, so yeah, it, it made sense maybe if Kingsley Coman is more of a skillful dribbler to to get him playing because he, he almost he almost had a. Uh, he he almost won a penalty as well, didn't he? When Kerry had his arm on his shoulder and it, and it just wasn't given. But then um, also, you know, popping up with a header is not is not the way we sort of thought the game would be decided. But um, but it was a very good goal. But I think the 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 most significant part of that goal, the like the the move in the build up, was the touch from Muller. Oh yeah, because um, Gnabry's got the ball in the right wing and he fizzes it inside. And Muller, obviously, like we we all know how good he is, but there's still an element of him being underrated because of how he because of he because he's not as quite as aesthetically pleasing as as other players like that. So we kind of have to remind ourselves of how good he is. Um, and he there are like three players surrounding Muller as the ball gets fizzed into him, and he can't really take it forward. So he opens his body up backwards, and just the touch to Kimmich is perfectly weighted, is perfectly directed. And Kimmich then just has all the time he needs to control the ball, look up and pick out Coman. And the and the goal doesn't happen without that touch. So um, Gnabry had, an, had a slightly quiet night, but Muller, Coman, Kimmich, they all stepped up. Just 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 in terms of Muller being underrated, like this is twice now. Um, Ruben and Declan Rice last night were saying underrated player. Do you not think like he's one of these players that everyone goes on about him being so underrated that he's actually rated? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's no, like Danny or Leighton Baines. I agree, I agree. Michael Carrick got... <laughs> Michael really Carrick watching got every thing. of the Paddy Buttons today. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, okay, where can, we, where can we start a fight here now? Neuer, uh, Sancho, Baines. Um, I, I do I do agree. Like, everybody everybody says he's underrated, so he must be rated. And, like, another player that had that was, like, Michael Carrick. It's like, okay, how underrated can you be? But um, I just think, like, people will appreciate that he's good but because of the way he because of his kind of scruffy style at times and the fact that he's not that glamorous there is still an element of his quality that is easily overlooked until he does something really good to remind you do you know what i mean yeah and he, and he famous and he, and he famously doesn't look like a footballer either yeah well he's he's kind he's like kind of gangly isn't he and he's not he's not got the most fashion and he's his humor as we've seen is a bit um weird and yeah he's just he's not he's not a very he's not what you would think of as like a what a prototype of the modern footballer um 
but he is an incredibly effective player, which is why, despite the fact that they've got like Coutinho in the squad and they had um, Mario Goetze like a few years back, um, like he he's always kept a place in that team because he's manager's dream, and uh, his little his touch uh, to set up the assist last night is like a, a great example of that. Yeah, I thought it was uh, Conan Doherty uh, tweeted about it last night and said it was uh, the, he presented that the ball to Kimmich like a waiter lifting and twisting the bottle mm. as he pours the wine, and it was that was the perfect uh, summation of it. And the the Muller underrated thing, yeah, I think it's because he doesn't look like a footballer. He's never really developed uh, a kind of a brand to go with although the brand now may be like the most you know you know the underrated Thomas Muller. Well he's got he's got a position on football manager almost named after him, the Raumdeuter, the space interpreter. So like he's got that kind of uh thing associated with his name now. So maybe it maybe he can develop that. Really. And he also has this thing and we, we we you know like and you compare him to somebody like Neymar, he also has this incredible when it matters, Muller is always there. That, yeah. that is a great thing about him, and that is a huge, uh, huge thing to have. Even if, even if it's even not even if, it, like from a touch, like like last night's for the goal, to you know scoring goals when it matters, like he has just got that uh, composure, which is which is which is you know an incredibly rare thing in football. Um, even for the greatest players, Messi and Ronaldo aside, like that is something that. Um, you know, let's let's players as we saw with Neymar last night. Let's players down, um, so often. Um, and Muller is again, like in so many other things, he's kind of the antithesis of that. He 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 reminds me of somebody. Well, he he looks like somebody who should be excelling academically. Like like whenever I see Thomas Muller, weirdly, what comes to mind is uh, my perfect cousin by the Undertones. Mm. You know, just that relative who's sort of like he's doing science at university or whatever. And your and your mum sort of always compares you to him, um, but maybe that's uh, maybe I need to go and see a therapist. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oddly, <laughs> Oddly specific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Um, watching the game last night, um, I was struck by the performance, especially in the first half of Ander Herrera. I texted some United friends and fans. Fans of United that are friends, not fans of mine. I should be clear. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, so um, I'm having a you good a little, show today. A little, little Neuer, Leighton Baines group. Little, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, hey, guys. Glad <laughs> rarer to this. Oh, God. Um, well, I was making the point to them was like, how come it didn't work out for Herrera at United? Because I do remember him being quite a good footballer and it just obviously they moved him on to Paris Saint-Germain but what they were saying was that like ultimately he he just goes quiet in games he does a lot of neat and tidy stuff and then he goes quiet but where Ander Herrera is not quiet is in the post-match interview see see uh, I got there (laughs) and this is him talking to reporters after the game you can learn from this experience come back stronger of course always when you lose you are fucked a couple of days three days but when you when you lose the way the way we we lost, you can take a lot of things um, to make you stronger. I think we have done a fantastic Champions League, a fantastic season. We won, we have won four titles and we have lost the, the final. So now from Saturday we are going to try to be back. We are going to learn a lot from it. And I think I told you before, 
if you are not clinical against another top side, uh, they can score and they can, they can, they can kill you. What's it like playing without fans? No, it's shit. Oh, horrible, horrible. For me, fans are the, the key in this sport. They're the most important thing in, in, in football. Football without fans is nothing. That's my opinion. I hope um, all the statements, all the people realize that uh, football is for fans. And without them, we are, we, are, we are nothing. Of course, this business had to continue because it's a big business. Uh, even for people that, that, are, that, that were suffering has been a good escape for them to, to watch games and to watch football. But uh, let's try to be responsible, everyone. Let's try to, to, um, let's try to finish this situation the, way, the, the best way possible. First of all, for the safety of everyone, but second, because we love football and we love football without fan, okay, with fans. Thanks for your time. Ander Herrera talking uh, after the game. Naz, what did you think of what he had to say? I thought he was good. Um, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll leave this to Dion because Dion's got his own opinion about how, how much uh, Herrera panders to, to, to the fans. But no, I, th- I think he speaks very well. Um, I also I also love the way that sort of like every part of the reason why everyone's sharing that that, that clip and everyone loves it is because he, he swears very effectively. Um, and, and 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 that's being roundly applauded. Uh, but like it's it's interesting that he was he was he was chatting to Andy Mitten, who was recently sort of like embroiled in this weird non-story that no one gives a shit about, apart from journalists about accreditation in in the Champions League. And he was described as as a fanzine writer. Well, well, but that's that's a fanzine writer who who actually knows Ander Herrera and a, a sort of like uh, obviously spoken to him various times, and that's why Ander Herrera felt so comfortable and was felt comfortable enough to speak frankly uh, to him. So, so I thought I thought that was interesting, uh, just to sort of get sort of certain journalists off the fucking high horses. But um, in 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 terms of Ander Herrera and the, and, the, and the type of player he's, and, and you sort of said that like uh, didn't really show it at United. I think I think he's fondly remembered at United, and I think um, he's he, he he always had a great work ethic and, and a pleasing sort of uh, fondness for shithousery and 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 uh, and that was always uh, appreciated. But the thing is that he was all he he, he also had he always had it in his uh, locker to to play the pass and and be creative. Um, it was the first time he really came to the attention of United fans was when when uh, Athletic. Uh, Team, what do you call them? What, do, what, what would you call them, Ruben? I don't want to get this wrong. Technically, Team... the name is Athletic Club, but okay. we'll allow Athletic Bilbao. Okay. Well, Athletic Bilbao. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 when they outclassed United, and he, and he was he was he was much more of an an advanced player, and uh, and I thought that that pass he laid back to Mbappe was great. Um, and and if that and if they discord that, people would be raving about him. And I think he he might have even even been the best player on the pitch in the first half. Um, so yeah, he he he's always had that, and and he always speaks well. And uh, and yeah, um, I, 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 I think in a funny way, like like for all these stars that uh, all these stars that PSG um, have signed, like he he he's actually been one really really sensible player that they've they've sort of acquired in in recent years and. And and he he's helped them get to the final, and and he could have helped them win it. They they needed to add some kind of steel to their midfield, didn't they? Because for yeah. so for so many years, like I remember when they played Real Madrid uh, in the group stage, like one or two years ago, and they had, their midfield was like Giovanni Lo Celso holding because nobody else wanted to Adrian Rabio and like and then Verratti, and it's like where who who's doing any defending there? So 
I mean, that's why Idrissa Gay was such a good signing. That's why sometimes I have to play Marquinhos in midfield. Um, and yeah, that's why Herrera was decent signing. But Herrera has hardly featured for them this season. He played eight games in the league, but he's played six in Europe. So I think it's just a case of um, Verratti being injured, basically, when the Champions League came back and him having to step up. But like as you say, he has stepped up because um, he's played pretty well. Yeah, I think I can see why fans take to Herrera because he curses and he throws in a curse. And and I, I accept your point. I think you, you could tell in that interview that he's speaking to somebody he's comfortable speaking uh, to, but he's also uh, knows that he's not solely speaking to Andy Mitten. He's, you know, Andy Mitten is is uh, interviewing him uh, and it's been recorded and will be shared around the world. So he's not um, aware. He's aware that it goes beyond an intimate conversation with somebody he knows well. Um, but uh, of all of everything he said, I think you 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 would listen to it and go, okay, these are these are these are strong words, you know, you know, it's it, it's fucking shit or whatever he said, and you know, uh, and then he he goes back to the and the key thing in this, he goes back to you know, as I said before, if you're not clinical, uh, it, it's it's very hard to win these matches. And again, Tuchel had said something similar, but unlike Tuchel. Uh, Herrera was actually on the pitch at that point, and unlike Tuchel, he was actually on the pitch with the ball in front of goal at that point when he decided to pass it back to Mbappe. Now, you might say Mbappe is the goal scorer and the person who you expect to score in these situations, but if you're Mbappe, you may also look and go and say, before you criticise me for not being clinical or suggest that the forwards are not being clinical, why don't you take a fucking shot yourself? because um, you're right in front of goal, and maybe I'm looking at you thinking you're going to take a shot. Uh, but if you're not going to take a shot and you're going to pass it back to me because you expect me to score, maybe don't come out in an interview afterwards and say the forward should have been clinical when you were in front of goal, and for whatever reason, you didn't shoot. So uh, I, would have that, uh, I would have that problem with, it, with, his, uh, with his post-match interview. And... Um, uh, and I mean, we may go on to. Talk. I also think the, uh, you know, again, it's 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 a great line. It, 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 but I would say, you know, football uh, football without fans is nothing. Is my opinion. He says now he's he's a footballer. He's not a he's not a writer. He's not expected to you know move beyond the cliches. But football without fans is nothing. Is uh, at this you know it, it may be true. It may have a truth about it, and it but it is a slogan. It's not uh, Herrera's opinion, uh, and I don't think it's. Um, uh, a particularly interesting one to hear a footballer say because I don't think they, you know, if if he said the test of whether it's interesting or not is if he said, uh, if he said anything else, would it be more or less interesting? If he actually said, "It's fine," football about fans, yeah, that's fine, mate. Don't miss them. That would have been, uh, been really funny. Yeah, then you would be interested. But football without fans, without fans, is nothing. Is just a, a little. It's a comforting bromide for people, and it's just thrown out there. But it doesn't; it, it tells us nothing. Um, crowd pleaser. Yeah. It's a crowd pleaser, and like I, Rory Smith had a piece in the New York Times uh, about this, and I think he was answering Danny Baker, who'd been tweeting during you know during the Champions League about how meaningless this is without fans, uh, and you know Rory Smith made the point that actually. And especially, I think we saw this in the Champions League because so much is at stake. In the Premier League, I think we know you notice it a lot more because there were an awful lot of games that were meaningless and an awful lot of games were, that were being played to be completed. So uh, the absence of fans uh, 
served as a reminder of how kind of soulless these games were and because the league was already over. But we still had moments when you forgot about it. And I think in the Champions League, an awful lot of the time, uh, it was easy to forget that the fans weren't there. Um, and I think from the point of view of players, and this was the, the, the point of Rory Smith's piece, was that actually the fans aren't the people that the players play for. That uh, uh, you know, he says, Rory writes about this, he says, it's, uh, you know, this because deep down there's a lie that we tell ourselves, one that players and managers and executives are complicit in, it is a harmless lie. It is that they play for the fans, for us, that we are not merely observers of the events that play out in the field, but the purpose and inspiration for them. And yet, if these last few months have shown anything, is that this is not true. Mbappe's smile, Sterling's despair have all been real, and it's all been real because deep down, the players and coaches we adore are not doing it for us, they are doing it for themselves. Um, and that is the truth. And I think the truth is that most footballers have a far more ambivalent relationship with supporters than lines like football without fans is nothing uh, allows for. Like that, that is just, that is just the, uh, the the nice bit of sugar for supporters, whereas an awful lot of the time, footballers, if they speak honestly, will speak about a different relationship with supporters. And we've talked about that in terms of in the Premier League, how teams will maybe have performed better because supporters aren't there. But ultimately, they are, as as that piece said, they are doing it for themselves. Now, they may, they may, they may miss the supporters. They may genuinely want the supporters to be there. I'm not saying that they don't. And they may, and some of them then may want supporters to be there so that they can actually feed off the acclaim of the supporters when they win something. And I imagine you miss the supporters a lot more if uh, if you're um, if you're Bayern rather than if you're PSG last night because you think we've won. Where are the supporters to acclaim us? Uh, whereas if you're PSG or if you're Manchester City. Um, or any of the, any of the teams that failed, or Barcelona, you're probably thinking, "Thank Christ, there aren't fans here." I think I think it's an important point you make there, and and and, and like uh, the, the whole the whole thing is like football. Obviously, is better with fans, just because like the fans are us, and we want to be at the games, and uh, and the whole atmosphere and everything around football. And again, like, uh, like as, as, as any football fan knows, like, like the football bit is just a little bit about being a fan and being, and, and, and being at a match day and, and experiencing the whole sort of like evening. But, um, this, this whole, this whole thing about the, the players and how, how they feel about it. I don't think there's any, anything necessarily, uh, bad or ignoble about, about saying that, um, they, you still enjoy it without fans. That's not to say that they obviously wouldn't want the fans there, but I think w- was it Klopp sort of near the beginning, or, or when there was a lot of talk about um, about they're going to be there's going to be a lockdown and there's a, there's potential to play games behind uh, closed doors and, and without fans there. Um, he essentially said, "Well, we all grew up playing football without fans. We all fell in love with the game and playing the game." Uh, in, in in like parks and and at school and places without fans watching us so so so, so, so there's, there's there's a kind of beauty in that as well where like you, you are playing because you enjoy playing and and you enjoy playing with your teammates and celebrating with your teammates but obviously obviously fans fans are massively important and and, and a major factor in that but i think uh, like dion says like um if 
if some players were a little bit more, and and, and again, like the, the, it served no purpose to be honest in this case. But if they were a little bit more more honest, you you probably say like it, during a game, it 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 probably doesn't affect them as much as they'd like to pretend. And I suppose the the conversation about fans as well is not as hasn't been as loud for a couple of reasons in the Champions League one. There's been more time in domestic leagues to get used to the idea. And two, the latter stages of the Champions League, I think, have been as good as other latter stages of the Champions League. Like when you get to the Champions League, you see a noticeable up step in the quality of the football. And I know there's some criticism of some parts of this final, but overall, once the games are good, you forget there aren't fans. And I don't know, I was watching it on Virgin last night. I can't I can't switch off the stadium sounds so I have to listen to it with the fake sounds and when you hear when you have the fake sounds it's so you just forget it's got, like I haven't even thought about it in the Champions League but is no that beca- is that because like you know everyone there's a few people were talking about how the fake crowd noise in the Champions League was superior to the Premier League and that, that did seem to be the case but is that because we're more wrapped up in the games so less inclined to notice that uh, the crowd noise is kind of disproportionate to what we're witnessing rather than in the Premier League where it seems like it's, you know, that the crowd is uh, kind of unnaturally exuberant about, uh, you know, Burnley versus Leicester. There's, there's um, probably an element of unfamiliarity that makes it, um, like, harder to notice because, like, there's the stadium, the teams, like, we don't watch them every week. Whereas, like, you know, if there was Premier League game on the telly then it's a lot easier to notice that oh hold on like why are that that you know you there are no fans in the stands um and that you know the crowd noise might sound a bit artificial but the fact that it's like Bayern versus PSG in Lisbon and they've just got this vaguely um generic European crowd noise in the background it kind of just is a lot more seamless I think that might be a factor yeah I think that's true I think it also is that sense that you didn't have it as a like the Premier League was a slog a lot of the time when it came back uh, and it was just getting yeah. these games done and whereas every game in Lisbon was uh, an event and it was something people wanted to watch um, and that that changed it so you, you you know you're able to forget and I think sometimes and sometimes supporters fill in those gaps so like you know the crowd will uh, as Nas says, you know, football, the, the game itself is only a small part of it. The, the crowd will compensate for it, for good and for bad. Um, and they'll add, a, they'll add dimensions and layers to it that aren't there without them. But that matters less when the game itself, when the football itself is as important and as good as the kind of Champions League has been in Lisbon. But, but another thing that I, I mean, the the thing with television does concern me. Like, like I, I know that I've banged the drum uh, previously about how much uh, I prefer the natural sound of the empty stadium and 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 the players and uh, coaches and everyone shouting rather than the fake noise. But I do find on some level there's something uh, insidious and uncomfortable about about the fake noise because. Um, I totally understand the, the idea of like people are, are at home, people are sort of um, locked down, people need an escape, and therefore you try and make it as normal as possible. And 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 there is a a value in that argument, but um, it also it, it desensitizes us to the fans not being there. And 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 as a television viewer, we get comfortable with with this being the product 
as it has always been. And the thing is, when when te- when television really blew up um, in the nineties, and there was so much, there were so many more live games compared to like the very few you had before, say the nineteen ninety World Cup. Um, there, there was an argument that was made um, by by fans, basically saying, "Oh, um, with with all this TV money coming in, with 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 the, the fan revenue of actually going to the games becoming less important, there's a danger that." television completely takes over but that will never happen because um imagine watching a, a game on tv without the sound of fans without um without the visual of uh, of like uh, the stadium being full um it just won't work uh so tv as much as it's getting more and more powerful it'll never be all important because because in, in even in terms of a spectator event um from your sofa um, you need the fans to be there to, to sort of complete the the picture. But now, what we're seeing is people are actually enjoying games as they always would, with with, with the faker of of like of like the the sound, and and so it, fe- it feels like a an exciting uh, game where the fans are getting excited or, or or less excited, and 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 this chance and these drums and 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 that, and I know this can sound like a bit of an overblown sort of argument but it, it there's something something about it that makes me feel uncomfortable because like i i would i would hate it if if we just get used to this and like say the euros i, I know I, I know next year like we'd all want the euros to go ahead but i don't know like like it, i worry that now it'll just be right it can go ahead uh we'll just we'll just use fake fake sounds on tv if the fans aren't necessary and and, and it's fine and and i, I don't I, there's something about that i don't like yeah, I, I I think there is a massive concern around that, but like I have a bit of optimism that when fans are like, it's not going to stop fans wanting to go back to the games when when they're allowed to. I think it might it will sort of TV viewers will care less if there's no fans in the stadiums because they can um, artificially create that atmosphere. But when 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 the stadiums reopen to fans at like at full capacity then like i, I don't think people are going to say are going to think to themselves well there's no point going now because i can watch it at home and it'll be just as much fun because they had that option anyway um so like as soon as Selhurst opens to to like at full capacity then i'm i'm going to be desperately trying to get a ticket um and so I, I think there's that element of like fans will still want to go back but it's yeah the concern is that um while they can't um yeah like for the euros or whatever like tv broadcasters kind of see them as even less important than they than they already do i guess but i think that again that comes back to uh the the structure of the game or at the, or the levels of the game because i think in the premier league if you were to if you were to we are having this conversation at the end of the premier league uh we would say something different. We may even have said something different. I can't remember. Um, But you would be saying there that this has demonstrated how important fans are because, again, because of of the nature of the Premier League, uh, nature of leagues in in themselves, that you need supporters sometimes. You cannot, as a broadcaster, uh, sell, um, you know, Watford, Southampton, uh, on the base, on the back of kind of fake noise and 
uh, you know, an empty stadium, but you can sell the Champions League. So you, they're they're needed. Um, but again, again, it is it is very much uh, it is very much as Nas says. It, it does basically reveal the kind of what supporters are needed for, and that they are a kind of commodity in 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 football as much as anything, rather than seen as uh, essential to it in a in a kind of spiritual or existential way. Um, it is seen as they are they are needed to provide certain elements of the package that we deliver to the television audience. That's what uh, supporters uh, and that may be the greatest power that supporters have in some in some regards, especially in the Premier League or in any league where um, doing the, doing these you know showing these games over you know relentlessly without fans uh, is going to be hard. Now, when the season comes back, they won't be showing every game live. There won't be that same need, but it's still something that uh, that that gives gives supporters some power. But I think I think uh, I think Nas is right. I'm not sure what you can do about it, though. I think like it, it's you know it may be one of those things that has accelerated. You know, the lockdown and the pandemic has actually accelerated things that were kind of becoming true anyway. Um, and when supporters now talk about fixtures being moved for television pictures being moved from a saturday to a monday night and uh fans having you know you know you'll see instances like newcastle or someone playing being moved to a bournemouth match being moved to a monday night or something where they have to do some ridiculous round trip and nobody cares uh the knowledge that football can get by without 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 supporters that they may start uh Putting in little bits of uh, let's fill in a little bit of this game is a little lacking in atmosphere. Let's pump in a little bit of that fake noise. You know the crowd hasn't uh, the Newcastle fans haven't made it uh, tonight because we put the game on at nine o'clock in Bournemouth uh, and they wouldn't have got back until you know three o'clock the next afternoon if we if they'd come. So let's just pipe in that Newcastle fan fake noise that we that we took from from uh, last year's game or whatever like. These elements, they may decide that they can now use and turn it into uh, into something else. Um, so it is from that point of view, it, it probably hasn't. It's 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 bad for fans. If there's anything, I'm not sure what you can do about it, though. Well, uh, that's it, lads, for another season, for another, let's see, 18 days. Premier League is back on uh, September 12th. And and if you are worried in any way that you won't get your football fixed between now and then, you're so wrong because the Nations League is back as well. And it's here at the start of September. Some big games there. Probably uh, a bit of fake fan sound wouldn't go amiss in Sofia, Bulgaria taking on Ireland in the Nations League. Finland against Wales. Scotland against Israel, and England are playing. Oh God! Oh, of course. Fuck yeah. Return to Reykjavik. <laughs> Grudge match there. Something I, hope, I hope we punt them ten nil. <laughs> yes, uh, you and Steve McLaren. Right. Okay. That's 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 our lot, lads. Uh, thanks very much uh, to Dion and to Nas, to Ruben, and thanks to yourselves as well for listening. And um, if you haven't already done so, do click subscribe to never miss the show. We'll be back later in the week. We'll be talking football as ever, building up to those big Nations League games and looking at some of what what's happening in this very short, close season for the Premier League and for football in general. 
and um, we'll talk soon good luck I think it would lift the spirits of the nation I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco people's lives are at risk Oli Gunnar where would you like the statue <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace I refuse to answer that question we'll take it as a yes then take it whatever you want I don't understand that politics coronavirus why me I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave